Episode 39 of The Paul George Show welcomes Matt Frad. Sin bends man over on himself. When a person is entrenched in pornography, that person's heart, to the degree in which they're entrenched in it, is, is just being scorched. The Paul George Show! Welcome to The Paul George Show. This week, Matt Frad, the church's response to the porn epidemic, rumors that Paul will be traded, and Paul's inner Australian pirate. And now, from Christ Our King Studios in Lafayette, Louisiana, The Athletic, Paul George. Welcome to the show, Paul George. Great to be with you today. Exciting show today, looking over at Adam Conk. Hey, Paul. You look like you're feeling better this week, Adam. Great Heck to be yeah. with you. I'm glad <laughs> you're here. much better. Man, summertime in Louisiana. I don't know how to explain it. I was talking to a friend of mine who, who doesn't live here, and it's just hard to explain. Because it's, it's, it's not just the heat. I mean, you could say it's hot, but it's so much more than that. Because it rains a lot. It rains a lot. And then the humidity comes in. And it's not just humidity. It, it's like uh, it's like being in a sauna in some Yeah, I describe it. Imagine yourself walking outside and this hot, soaking wet blanket just covers you. Yes. And doesn't leave you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I know. And it's been <laughs> raining a lot, but uh, it's crazy. But summer's here, which is good. I like summer. You know, kids are home, the traffic's less because schools are out. It's just fun. I, I love summer. Do a little traveling, N- not for fun, but. Are you a beach person? For, for I'm not a beach person. Why not? I enjoy the view of the beach. Do you like swimming in the ocean? Put me on a balcony. Let me listen to the waves. Loving it. Yeah. Playing in the sand, swimming in salty water. <laughs> Makes no sense With to creatures me. in it. Yeah, with <laughs> creatures in it. Hey, uh, so by the way, I got sand all over me in every crack I own. Whoa. Uh, I got salt in my mouth, seaweed on my face, and a jellyfish bit me. It was a great day. <laughs> That's kind of... <laughs> but... People who love to lay on the beach and get suntan, which I don't because I'm kind of pink. What's a place you go to get stories? Like, let me tell you about that time I got really sunburned. Or that time I got stung three times by jellyfish. Or right. You know, you get good stories when you go to the beach. Yeah, but I like, I like the rest of the beach, like mm-hmm. to rest at the beach. It, mm-hmm. it, it kind of forces you to relax if you want to. If you want, it forces you if you, you want. want to. So anyway, man, uh, have you seen this, Adam? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? Yeah, for real. Um, I don't know if you've seen my Twitter account. Yes. Uh, okay, so people have been flooding my Twitter account. So my, my, <laughs> my Twitter page is at Paul George. With two eyes, because I'm the second. That's now, this, why I put this I, is, I. This is real. This is not. This is real. This, this is, is happening. Like when I you. look at my Twitter account, and and if you look at my profile pic, it's just a picture of me. Okay, me. Uh, <laughs> and so during the NBA playoffs and the finals that were just happening, the 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 Warriors won. The Cavaliers were in there. It's all this drama. Of course, it wasn't even a close series at all. No. But a lot of the drama was the Warriors had all these players. They're sort of this super team. Stacked. Mm-hmm. Stacked. And, you know, the Cavs have LeBron and Kyrie. Uh, but 
uh, they're lacking a few players to keep up with the Warriors, and so there's all these trade talks. Well, there's an <laughs> NBA player named Paul George. A, a good, very talented NBA player. Very good player. Mm-hmm. All right, and, and he's up for trade. He's a free agent, and he could go probably anywhere if they could pay him. The Lakers, well, the, you know, there's all these Twitter uh, <laughs> trolls all over putting his name in my Twitter handle, thinking it's him, but it's me. And so, you know, people are like sending me messages saying the starting five, Kyrie Irving, Paul George, King James, you know, uh, these are all coming to my account. Um, Here's one. There's literally no team in the league that's a PG-13. That's that's me. Away from beating the Warriors, except for maybe the Cavs at Paul George II. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. This is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, so I gained all these followers, but they <laughs> follow in the wrong person. And now you get to tell them about Jesus. Yeah, now I get to. Now I get. Well, to they're tell gonna. Them. Well, I have two thoughts. Can't wait till so you get many. to Cleveland, Paul George. <laughs> I, I am like, how'd you know? I have so many thoughts about this, but can I share two? Yeah. One. Okay. They're gonna realize how profound of a thinker Paul George actually is, because what you like to tweet are these inspirational ditties that you find during the day every now and, and then, so now yeah. they're gonna think wow this this paul george basketball player has some real depth to him this is awesome okay that's secondly one. that if you play your cards right you might actually get a spot on on the team on the squad well i think at my age and my size and my dna there is literally no chance and and no chance at all that i'll end up on nba team now paul george is a lot younger taller <laughs> darker more handsome. He's <laughs> got more money. Like, th- there's literally nothing we have in common. But if you did this correctly, I'm telling you, I know some guys. Hey, at Paul George, I, I, Cleveland is calling your name. I'm calling it now at Paul George, I, I, next year going to the Cavs. Okay, can we discuss a little bit of this irony, too? Is that tomorrow you're getting on a plane and I'm going to and Ohio? And what state are you going to? Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. So, can you have some fun with this and say that? You're heading to Ohio or something. Paul George heading to Ohio. <laughs> yeah. And then put on a Cavaliers jersey maybe yeah, as maybe your picture. So. Maybe so. <laughs> anyway, it's it's really this been crazy. Hilarious. But I, I love sports, which has been fun. But actually uh, on Twitter, which I really wanted to get at, over the, the college baseball playoffs, um, there was a team, Sam Houston State in Texas, okay, randomly made it to the, the 16 final baseball teams. Um, and the coach there, uh, which they weren't expecting, they were a small team, and they kind of was sort of like yeah, a great story. Cinderella yeah. team. Well, they posted a video interview of him at, at the end of the you know the series, which they lost. And, man, he just really gave like this small message and teaching to men, to parents, to coaching. He basically – he didn't basically say – he said that – Coaching has nothing to do with wins and losses. It has everything to do with forming people, with forming men. And then he just kind of took the train from there. And people have been sharing this all over the place. Yeah. Because it's really, really refreshing and empowering to me and to many people because it, 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 we live in a world where everything's wins and losses, where everything's success or not, everything's money or not, everything's you know, about me. We, we live in a culture that's very narcissistic. Uh, what can I get out of it? You know, life's about me. Everything's idealistic. You know, I, I need the ideal job, the ideal place, the ideal family. You know, there's nothing realistic 
about me making the NBA. Okay, uh, it, it, I don't you, know. You know, I can dream and think. Starting and, to seem a little more and, realistic and, and today. <laughs> get on on the Twitter, but there, there's nothing there. And and the coach, his name is Matt Diggs, who actually coached for a while here in Lafayette in the university. Oh, I didn't realize uh, that. under Coach Robichaud, the baseball coach. Anyway, uh, he gave a refreshing message that really challenged people to uh, to not to not live life about themselves, mm-hmm. uh, but to really journey with people and empower each other to to be the best that they can be in their life. Well, what I love about that message is it's not just confined to coaching. While that is true of coaching, I would say that's also true of CEOs, bosses, managers, business. It's not about what you're doing. It's not about the bottom line. It's not about the activity. It's about the people and the formation that comes. And and I think the great companies get that. You know, you look at things like Google and other like when you invest in people and you're people centered, you have success because that's how we're built to live. And when you when you care about that bottom line or you make everything about whatever, you just kind of destroy people's humanity day by day. Yeah, I would one hundred percent agree that it, you know, it's not just about coaching sports. You know, I think every coach has a responsibility. They're coaching a sport to form young men. And if yeah, they're not doing yeah. that first, then they're in it for the wrong reasons. Right. But that translates into everyday life. And, and if you're a mom or a dad of a family, you're, you're, you're coaching, mm-hmm. quote unquote, your kids. You're building them up and discipling them. Uh, if you're a leader of a company or if you're a manager or any role, I, I was <clears throat> reading this one thing. It's called Lead Where You Are. You don't have to be a leader to be the boss. Mm-hmm. And whatever position you're in, God puts you there so that you can change someone else's life. You can build someone else up. You can empower someone else. And this is this is exactly what, what Jesus teaches us. This is what Jesus does with his disciples. He builds them up. He empowers them as men to be the best that they can be, uh, to know truth, uh, and to live in their identity as, as sons of Christ. He did this with his followers. This is what we're called to do. It's interesting that you actually sent me an article this week about um, the need more than anywhere uh, in our culture today for for people, particularly men, to have sort of life coaches, right? Mm-hmm. People who are just helping them to, to live life the right way. This, I love that. Yeah. Uh, and it's something that I do with people one-on-one. But the article was really great because it talked about how men don't really want that because they don't want to be vulnerable and admit right. that they need help. Right. Well, and it makes sense because when you have a crisis of fatherhood like we have on this wide scale, I mean, that, that is the role of dad. Right. Is to walk with you through life. Right. Make sure you know how to be a man in certain situations. But we just, most of us don't have that experience. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway... Um, great show today. I'm excited to have Matt Frad, world famous speaker. The Matt Frad. The Matt Frad. What the heck? And uh, we're going to talk a lot about his new book out, his podcast. Uh, he's got a great message, and you need to stick around for it. So anyway, great to be with you today. It's Paul George Show. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity Healthcare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? 
Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Excited to have our guest on today, Matt Frad, uh, from really from all over the world, uh, Australia, living in Atlanta, Georgia. Matt, how you doing today? G'day, yeah, doing well. It's what time is it? It's in the morning. I've had a couple of coffees in me, so I'm I'm banging on all cylinders. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's like nine a.m. there, uh, eight a.m. here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, thanks for taking the time today, man. We we could talk about so many things, but. Uh, you have this new book out, which is fascinating to me. It's called The Porn Myth, and it's a, it's a non-religious argument about pornography. Uh, first of all, how did you get into the conversation, and how did you get into this ministry and speaking about pornography? Yeah, well, I think like many of us, pornography is part of my history. And maybe unlike many of us, I just decided to talk about it. <laughs> uh, I remember I started doing it about 10 years ago. People would say, aren't you embarrassed, you know, to, to share share this story? And I really wasn't. I don't know if that's due to a lack of modesty or prudence. I'm not sure. But it just seemed to me that so many people were dealing with this issue. And I actually found myself to be very passionate in speaking about it. It was a few years into my marriage where I began to find some 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 serious healing and freedom from, you know, those old demons. And so that's how I started, you know, uh, talking about it. I from there, I work for Catholic Answers, which is an apologetics outfit in San Diego. But <clears throat> as passionate as I am about philosophy and these sorts of things, I, I kept accidentally writing books and creating products about pornography. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I can't seem to get away from it. Yeah, it wasn't like you went and said, hey, what do I want to go out there and talk <laughs> about? You know, I mean, this is a personal thing. And, and this is why you're so passionate about it is because this is something that not only you struggled with, but as you've spoken around the world and you've gotten into this ministry, you constantly are talking to people who really do struggle with this addiction. Saint, yeah, St. Saint Bonaventure wrote a little book called Journey of the Mind to God, and in it he says that sin bends man over on himself. So if you can imagine him looking at his feet, and so because of that, he's unable to see from the created world, <clears throat> the uncreated. He's mm. unable to see from the mutable things, the immutable, and it seems to me that when a person is entrenched in pornography, which is such a violation against our human dignity, that that, that person's heart, you know, to the degree in which they're entrenched in it, is, is just being scorched. And any seed of the gospel that we might try to throw, uh, you know, may not penetrate, may not do any good at all. So it seems to me that pornography today is perhaps one of the biggest obstacles to evangelization. And I would get up and speak at Steubenville conferences and, and speak to thousands of teens about basic gospel message, all the while very acutely aware that a good number, like well over half, right, 80% maybe of these guys and these girls have looked at pornography, are looking, consuming it on a regular basis. And how long can one keep within one's mind this idea that, People have intrinsic dignity and inalienable rights. 
and that we should respect them. And at the same time, uh, this idea that people are disposable, reducible to the lowest common denominator uh, that porn makes them. And so that just, that upsets me, you know. And the, the other thing too is I think that quitting porn is very sex positive and, and, and conducive to human flourishing. So I, I, when I walk with people or I see people make the decision to quit pornography, not only are they ceasing to commit grave sin, but they also become more interesting, happy people. And that's, that's something to be excited about. Yeah, and, and everybody wants to be happy and free. And I think the world teaches us uh, and we look at it is that all this sex and pornography is sort of this this idea of freedom. Do whatever you want with your body. And the reality is, like what you're saying is, that's what puts us in bondage. That that's when we're we're less free in our life. Right. So I think the reason the church is right about human sexuality and what's good for us is because she knows what the human person is. In a, in an analogous way, you might think of someone who studies nutrition. Right. They know you know what the human body is made up of. Why uh, you know fatty foods, fast food, sugar. Why these things are bad for us. Now, I could look at these people, you know, these paleo, whole 30 health people and call them nuts. I can call them health nuts. And I could, I could complain that every time I, you know, turn on Netflix, it seems like there's a show about what food's killing me today or something and how this is impeding my freedom. But that's really, maybe that's a superficial response to that. But really, if I sit back, I can go, okay, well, these people know something about the human body that I don't. If I want to be healthy... Uh, then, then maybe I should listen to them and, and, and do what they say. And in a similar way, you don't have to listen to the church. You can do whatever you want. You can look at as much porn as you want if, you, if you're interested. Uh, but if you want to be happy, right, if you want heaven, if you want uh, a beautiful, deep life, a satisfying sex life, if you're called to marriage, then you should listen to the church because she knows what the human person is. Absolutely. I'm talking to Matt Frad at Matt Frad on Twitter, um, at The Porn Myth. You came out with this book, which I want to get into uh, because you speak a lot in the religious circles, but you've been interviewed uh, on secular stations and given talks in, in secular circles. You come out with this book called The Porn Myth, which is a, a non-religious argument on pornography. What What's the book about and why should people read it? So just like I think most Catholics can recognize it would be a good thing to have a book, of, say, arguing against abortion strictly from a scientific vantage point. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is we live in a secular society and many people are unwilling to listen to moral arguments or arguments based on scripture or religious dogma as important yeah. as I think those things are. So just like it's important that we can do that with abortion, I think it's important that we can do that with pornography. And the fact is over the last 30 or so years, there has been a what's the word, you know, boatload, cornucopia yep. <laughs> of research that's come out of neurology and sociology and psychology, all of which is saying that pornography is detrimental to the consumer, to our relationships and to society. And so I thought, well, I want to write a book that makes the, makes the case. And the way I've done it is um, I, I, I thought of as many myths we believe about pornography as I could. Myths like um, porn is sex positive, porn is liberating to women, uh, anime porn is okay, uh, you know, masturbation is healthy and good for men, these sorts of things. And then I just responded, in, so each of those take up chapters, and then I responded to those myths with just, I 
logic and and uh, <clears throat> and you know literature, the peer-reviewed literature. So there's about nearly 40 pages in the bibliography. So there's a ton of research. So I'm actually you know quoting for people either academic you know uh, studies or experts in the field and what they have to say on on the matter. Well, so it's actually it's a non-religious thing. So there's no talk of Christ or sin or faith or repentance you know, in, in the religious sense of the word. Right. Which it's like you said, you need to get in the arena in this argument because we live in such a secular society where if someone's religious or not, pornography can still, you know, hold them in bondage. What would you say is the great, the biggest myth in, in your book? Like what's the biggest myth that people buy into about pornography? Oh, gee, it's a good question. I've been asked that a lot and I still haven't really decided. I suppose it would be something vague and broad, like people should be able to do what they want. Yep. But okay, fine. They, they, people can do whatever they want. Uh, I'm not saying that they can't. Whenever I speak at college campuses, you know, that's usually the thing I lead with. I'm not here to tell you what to do. You can do whatever you want. Uh, but I think it's prudent that one has the most information at their disposal before engaging in a behavior that can have serious, deleterious consequences in one's life. You don't have to be open to the evidence, right? You can shut your eyes to the science and block your ears to the, 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 the logic. Uh, but uh, why would you want to do that? Uh, so I think that's partly it. I think another myth might be that all this talk about pornography addiction is inappropriate because – you, you can't get addicted to porn because it's not a drug. I think that would be another big myth. Which is a myth because you found in the research and the research has found that pornography is addictive, right? Yeah. So, you know, we used to think, when I say we, I mean, doctors and scientists used to think that in order for something to be addictive, it had to be a substance that you put into your body. But since neuroscientists started looking into the brain, they began realizing that it isn't just a matter of substances that you put in, that behaviors can also have the exact same effect. Mm. And so, for example, the DSM-5 has a category, uh, well, has pathological gambling, at least, as, as one of the addictions that they recognize. So that's clearly not something you inject into your body. It's a behavior, uh, but it's addictive. And, and for anything to be addictive, anything at all, because when you think about it, there are very few drugs that are addictive, you right. know. Um, well, what, 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 it has to, what they have to do, these behaviors of these drugs, is they have to boost a neurotransmitter uh, called dopamine in the reward center of the brain, which is which gives us that craving, and I you know, I got to have it now sort of feeling. Um, uh, anyway, so and as we use that particular drug or engage in that particular behavior compulsively, neuroscientists have discovered that a downgrading occurs. So dopamine begins to shrink, and the reward cell in our brain begins to literally numb out. It, it's starved for dopamine. And it's as if we've reset now the pleasure thermostat in the brain um, and we need more of that addictive behavior or that substance just to feel normal, just to boost the dopamine up enough to feel normal. And that's why people who consume pornography, you know, if they consume it with any regularity, end up either A, spending f way more time watching it than they once did and watching much more harder forms of pornography and even forms of pornography that disgust them but it's sort of the only thing that will 
do the job at that point. Man, that's crazy. All right, we're talking to Matt Frad. We'll be back in a minute. We're going to talk about how we can make steps become freedom in those behaviors. It's Paul George here. back to the show. Paul George here with Matt Frad at Matt Frad on Twitter, thepornmyth.com, his new book. Uh, you can follow him at thepornmyth uh, on Twitter as well. Works for Integrity Restored, travels the world, uh, speaking on this topic. And we were in this conversation, Matt, about addictive behavior. And you're talking about pornography, but there's certainly other things that are addictive, um, things that we inject into our bodies or even behaviors that are outside of, you know, putting stuff inside of our body, uh, including pornography. So as, as you look at this, you look at your own life and you look at the ministry you do and traveling around the world, what, how do people begin to move forward into breaking these behaviors that spark this this dopamine and then eventually just there's a downturn in their life so much much can be said and i go into much greater detail in the book but let me just try a, a couple of things here i think the first and obvious thing is that you know i mean there's certain things that one has to if one doesn't do there's no hope of healing it's it's and these, it would be things like admitting that you have a problem and need to change yeah. and owning responsibility for your behaviors and then it would be, you know, things like becoming accountable, getting good filtering and accountability software like Covenant Eyes on your phone and computer and, and, and actually having an accountability partner. You know, three would be like going to confession if you're a Catholic when you fall. Like if you're not doing these things, then you might not even be that serious about right. recovering from porn and just be honest with yourself. It would be a lot easier for you. Just say you don't want to be free of it. Yeah, but, yeah that's but if, true. And, that, right. and that's true for anything in our life. If, if we don't, we don't have, we're not motivated to change, we're just not going to do it. Yeah, yeah. And it, but also the accountability, I can't stress that enough. When I hear people make excuses for why, why they don't have good accountability and fil filtering software on their phones and computers – you know, I want to shake them. I'm like, what is your problem? Stop, maybe stop going to confession because it doesn't seem like you're even that interested in right. being free. So those would be the sort of obvious things. As far as like the big long-term, you know, heavy gun stuff, I would say these three things. I would say going to a counselor um, on integritystored.com, we have a section where you can find certified sex addiction therapists in your area by punching in your postal code. That's that's really necessary because um, wh why we go to pornography, it's, it's usually in order to sort of uh, numb, uh, to veg, to, to soothe our emotional state, right? So when we feel stressed out or angry or out of control um, or something else, pornography is that thing that regulates our emotional affect, to use the language of John Paul II, eh? So um, – counseling can help us get to the root of that. So I would say go to counseling. Like, you know, here I am, Matt Frad, traveling, speaking about porn. I don't have it all together. I'm going to counseling today at two. Um, but there's something tremendously uh, wise and, and, and manly in knowing your weaknesses and doing everything within your power uh, to be a better person, whether you're a man or a woman. So counseling. Uh, secondly, I'd say find a good uh, essay group 
uh, in your area. You can go to sa.org. You can find like phone meetings or you can find a, obviously the ideal would be to go to a group. That would be really important because it's just sitting before people who care about you and being real with them. And then finally, I think spiritual direction uh, would be also helpful to heal that God image. Um, and unfortunately, I think in the church up until recently, all we've looked at is the spiritual component. And I think for that reason, people have remained in slavery. I mean, we, we recognize that grace builds upon nature, or if we don't recognize it, we agree with it because we've heard it a thousand times, right? right. But, but if you don't understand the nature of addiction, and if you're not dealing with it at that level, then any grace-sounding words that people say to you like frequent the sacraments or develop a greater devotion to Our Lady, both of which I think is good advice. But unless you're dealing with the nature part of it as well, you're just going to remain stuck. I mean, there are people who go to adoration every day, who look at porn almost every day. So I, I think it's been unhelpful. I think it's been a, a result of the fact that we haven't understood what pornography addiction is, that we've just given these sort of simplistic and pietistic answers. Um, but the truth is, I think we need both. Uh, so those those would be the three big things. And then finally, I would just say patient perseverance. You know, recognize this isn't an all or nothing battle. If this is something you've been struggling with for a long time, you're going to have setbacks. Uh, but I think what's important is that when you do, you know, you get up, you learn from them, and you keep moving forward. I, I like the analogy Jason Everett once used. He said, there's no shame in being hit in battle. Uh, but there is shame in, in, in abandoning, you know, your, your comrades on the battlefield. Um, so there's a few thoughts. Yeah, no, those are awesome. And, you know, question I get oftentimes in working with married couples and one, one person's dealing with, with the sex addiction or the pornography is what is the role of the spouse um, in, in this process if someone's married? Because I think a lot of times the spouse is hurt. They just like go deal with this. I can't. You're you're hurting me. H how have you found that for the spouse to 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 journey with the person, or what is their yeah. role? Well, not to offer a shameless plug, but my wife and I wrote and edited a book called Restored, and that is a story that contains about ten stories of women whose husbands had looked at porn and how they dealt with it. And you can get that at Catholic Answers. And I would highly recommend people get that. They're like $2 a book if you buy a box of 20. And the reason we thought it was so important to do that book is that research has found that, w that these wives who are living, living with men who are either sex-addicted or porn-addicted are exhibiting uh, signs identical to those with PTSD. Hmm. Uh, and so in 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 counseling now they refer to it as betrayal trauma right that something traumatic has happened to you but very often when i'll give a talk on this topic I'll, i might have a wife come to me and she'll say what can i do about my husband but it seems to me there should be a prior question and that's what can i do about me hmm. like you know and that's the question i think many women don't ask but they have to ask that they have to find healing uh, if if they are living in a toxic environment with a man who refuses to get help then they should speak to a spiritual director about leaving their husband and taking their children away from him mm -hmm. right there is no excuse to be living in a toxic environment uh, every situation is different and that's why i would recommend that someone speak to a good catholic counselor and priest but, uh, you know, it's not a holy thing to subject yourself and your children 
to that sort of emotional uh, toxicity. Um, so, wow, and, and that's contrary, right? I mean, that sounds scandalous. What I just said, I'm aware that that sounds scandalous, but um, if if you're with somebody who refuses to be clean. And they're they're engaging in this rotten behavior that's rotting their mind and rotting your relationship. It, this is an abusive relationship in Absolutely. a sense. Absolutely, yes. And you shouldn't. You sh it's it, it would be wrong for you, just like if you were with somebody who is physically abusive or verbally abusive to you and your children. Uh, you have like a duty, I would say, to leave that environment. Um, and I think sometimes that's necessary too, if we're with somebody who just makes all the excuses and refuses to be clean, not trying to get help, not being honest. Yeah. So for the man or, uh, who's like, honey, I want to get help and falls every now and then. Uh, right. That's a different, that's situation. a different situation. Uh, but the wife sort of feels still a little hurt. Uh, how do they continue to have unity in their marriage, even though there's, there's a stumble every now and then? Well, um, yeah, it's a good question. Different why? I mean, I, I've met marriages where the wife will say to the husband, "Please do not tell me when you fall." All right, and I don't think it's a. I don't think the man must, or the woman. Let's say the woman struggling with pornography, but usually in a marriage relationship, it tends to be the man. Even though in singles, it does tend to be both men and women. Um, I don't have a hard and fast rule that I like to throw out. I mean, I've heard people say things like, "If you're struggling with porn, you got to tell your wife every single time." Uh, and maybe that is true. I, I don't know. But I think what it certainly needs to be the case, I think that the spouse becomes made aware of this and that, that maybe even setting up a time for counseling so that the two can express what it is they're going through. Um, I know for some wives that I've spoken to, the biggest thing that they feel hurt by isn't the fact that their husband fell to pornography, it's that they lied about it. Right. You know, and so the husband said, no, 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 I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And then maybe eventually he'll say, yeah, well, I said I was doing good. I really wasn't. And that's what crushes them because they think, well, what else are you lying to me about? Right. right. Um, so the honesty, the, the transparency is the most important thing, really. I think so. Yeah. And I, and I also think that if, you know, it, someone might decide, a couple might decide that if one of the spouse looks at pornography, that there would be a time of abstinence that precedes that. You know, right. uh, maybe maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a couple of months, uh, you know, just to sort of uh, train oneself to look upon their spouse as a brother or sister in humanity first and not as a receptacle to, to for my pleasure, my base pleasure. Yeah, and I think if the spouse knows that the person is trying, has accountability, has all those things that you talked about earlier, that, that they're, you know, they know that they're making effort. And they don't have to be their only accountability partner in the no, process. No, 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 yeah. Then yeah. It, ma it makes, I think, you know, the unity in the marriage uh, much better. I mean, we could go all day long talking on this topic, and, and there's so much there. So I want to invite people to uh, to follow Matt on Twitter, at Matt Frad, at, at The Porn Myth. Get the book. Your work in ministry is so important. And I know, like you said, you're going to counseling today. That says more about you to me than anything else that you're working on yourself at the same time as you're helping people. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And uh, for, for Adam, who, who can't talk right now, can you just say his name in, in your accent? Adam Conk. Uh, let me see here. Uh, Adam Conk. There you go. Is that right? Perfect. Yes. Right. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, <laughs> Do what I can. I hope to run into you this summer at a conference. And uh, thanks so oh, much, wait, bro. Yeah. God bless you. 
All right. God bless. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity Healthcare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Awesome. Adam sitting over. I did you a favor, man. I got Matt Pratt to something. say your name. I'm going to take that recording and I'm going to frame it. I mean, I feel so on top of the world. Yeah, exactly. You should just take that little clip. Put it as your ringtone. Adam Conk. Adam Conk. <laughs> Answer Adam your Conk. phone. Answer your phone, dang it's it. It's Matt Pratt. <laughs> anyway, I did you a favor. What a Thanks, fascinating man. interview. I mean, yeah. We could have done a bunch of interviews and hopefully I have him back on. He certainly knows his stuff and he's well-versed. Yes. But uh, he, um, you know, sh- shares with such passion. But anyway, he-, he could read a phone book and I would listen. Oh, yes. Uh, and if he was in Louisiana, like with all the Broussards and Thibodeaux, and I would love it. Now, anytime I've met someone from like, you know, England or Australia, it seems like their vocabulary is so much better. And I don't know if it's always the, the way they say it because their accent is fascinating to me. But they always use these words. I'm like, I haven't heard that word before. <laughs> I've le- literally never used that word before. It's like their vocabulary. I don't know if they'd grow up. It's like, read the dictionary. Do you think he felt the same way when he came down here and he heard y'all and stuff like well, that? Well, he was like, like wow, what's the word for it? Buttload? I mean, he, you know, so there's... But <laughs> well, see, that's not How do you not idiots a, talk down here? Yeah, oh, yeah buttload. Yeah, yeah that, that's not... <laughs> Real good vocabulary that we use here. He talked good. He talked talk good. Good, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what what did you learn on the show today? Well, I learned that you um, get random messages that are intended for Paul George, the NBA basketball player. Yeah. And I think that's amazing. Like I, I love it. I okay. Love that. So here's here's my question for you. Actually, is do I respond to those or I just let yes, it be? Absolutely respond. Why? Because it's hilarious. It is funny, but I feel like I'm just playing with a bunch of Twitter trolls who right. think I'm someone else. Right. Yeah, that's the funny part. Okay. <laughs> All right. What did you learn? I'm on my way to Ohio. <laughs> I'm going to tweet that out. Well, I learned about dopamine. I did. I learned about dopamine. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, very interesting and fascinating and true research shows. And, you know, I really did work. I I thought he made a really good point about, you know, grace and nature. But he really drove home the point for me that uh, we need to work on the nature piece. We can't just expect, you know, grace to take care of everything Mm -hmm. about nature. Like if grace and nature work together, then we certainly have to be diligent about working on the nature side of things. I thought that was a good point. I learned that. Yeah. So anyway, how about the six pack of questions? Question. Question number one. I don't know if you noticed, but Matt has a bit of an accent. He does. We mentioned it earlier. Yeah, and I noticed you over there struggling to come up with six questions on this topic. <laughs> so anyway, okay. So question back number to one. The, yeah. Can I hear your best Australian accent? I mighty. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Autumn Conk. So matey is what pirates say. Mate is what Australian people say. So it's like an Australian pirate. 
I'm an Australian pirate. That's, That's awesome. basically what I am. It's like your inner personality. Yes. Australian pirate. Yeah. All right, can you tell me, um, let's go put some shrimp on the Barbie after wrestling kangaroos? No. In an Australian accent. I can't do it. Okay. Well, thanks for trying. Question number two. Question number two. <laughs> All right, so you've done a lot of work in the church with people of a certain age group, but, I mean, with, with everybody, but particularly like young adults and, and youth, you've spent a lot of time with these people in your ministries. What would be your guess as to how many Catholics are sitting in the pews on a given Sunday that actually struggle with these with, with pornography? Well, the latest statistic that I read uh, that that's, most people say is pretty spot on, give or take, is that 90% of young men, when they graduate high school, have already looked at pornography. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they're addicted. Right. But they've looked at it. They've seen it because of the access of computers. Basically, kids now are walking around with computers in their hands, their phones. It's a yeah. computer and where you can access the Internet anytime. It's not dial-up. You don't have to plug in. It, it's access all the time, which parents need to be aware of that and certainly have those filters and do those things in those conversations because a lot of times kids end up stumbling upon it. It's not like there's intention there all the time. If I want to do something bad, but they end up stumbling upon something bad. So if 90% of kids have already seen it by the time they graduate high school, if that behavior continues into young adulthood, it begins to become an addiction. So if a behavior is affirmed over time, then it becomes to set in as an addiction because it's something that you lean on and you, and then it begins to spark this dopamine and, and it becomes something that you really, really, really are, is a clutch in your life. And so then you find that by maybe young adulthood, even before that, certainly after that, when people are married, that, that a good percentage of people who have looked at pornography have become addicted to it and still do it. Wow. And they need help. They need to make those steps that, uh, that we talked about. So this is not like a nuanced issue. This is this is kind of a big issue, it seems. Pornography has been something that's kind of hidden because it's so shameful. I think now that more and more people are talking about it, uh, you know, people are having the permission to be like, okay, I struggle. I, I need to admit this. I need to get the help. Uh, but it was it's so shameful for so many years and because it, it has such to do with our who we are, you know, our bodies. And, and so anyway, the biggest step is just admitting it and, mm-hmm. and getting through that shame. So, All right, question number three. So I kind of talked about addiction in general, and I want to get your thoughts on this. I remember a while back this idea of uh, being addicted to Jesus or like drugs or Jesus, like, like hey, being addicted – to something you're going to be addicted to something might as well be jesus do you agree with that idea is is our relationship with jesus an addiction there was a song in the 80s called a2j addicted to jesus really yeah or is it maybe the early 90s a guy wow. named corman wrote the song and oh, sang yeah, it I it was like corman. a rap song or and he sang it and i remember thinking this is just weird but <laughs> you know i i guess it's how you use the word addiction you know uh certainly it's better to be addicted to jesus than other things. But I'll say this, and I wrote this in in this book I'm working on, is that I have seen people hide their behaviors behind their religiosity Mm. and behind their quote-unquote addicted to faith or to Jesus. And all the time is they're pushing in heavy on their faith, and and yet their psychological issues, their, their, their certain behaviors haven't changed. They're not doing any work on that end. And so... They're, they're basically living a double life. You have to integrate the two. So, 
Hmm. Interesting. So instead of saying addicted, I say just fall in love with Jesus. Ah, which is different. It's a different. Yeah. That's cool. So drugs or Jesus, neither. Just Jesus. Yeah, just Forget Jesus. Forget the drugs. All right. Uh, question number four. Y'all discussed, yeah, this interesting insight about addictive behavior of a spouse being actually abusive behavior. Um, so I want to talk about abusive relationships for a second. Have you seen couples, have you worked with couples that have actually found healing from an abusive situation? What does that journey look like? Because I've learned that this is actually more prevalent than than I realized. Um, but the way he brought it up, it's very prevalent, these abusive-type relationships. Yeah, and the abuse could be verbal. Uh, it could be physical. It could be sexual. Mm. It could be an addiction. You know, so then, then that, that person's addiction and their behavior from that causes a certain trauma into the person, which he talked about. There are different forms. So there's a lack of trust. There's a lack of, um, you know, you know, uh, unity. Certainly, everything's been broken there. A lot of times, a spouse who who's the result of that becomes codependent and just lives in that and just kind of says, "Well, I'm going to love my spouse even though that abuse is there and that brokenness and that hurt." I think one of the steps that the spouse can take is is to work on themselves and to say, I'm, I'm not living in this situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not putting up with this abuse. And if you want to love us as a family, then you need to work on yourself too. But where's the line of, of that kind of, you know, confidence and being f- faithful, quote unquote, to your marriage vows? Because I've seen that, you know, like, yep. and that seems like a difficult line to... Well, I know Dan Jurek, who we've had on the show, who's a professional counselor who we want to have on again, certainly he, he probably has a better line but mm-hmm. it's not black and white. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's the exact situation you guys need to split up for a while and make up uh, and, and until you figure it out. I think it, every situation's different on what each person can handle uh, and and then working on the marriage. Mm-hmm. So Dan would say sometimes it's better to work on the marriage and not live together right now because the, the marriage is toxic. Each other's mm-hmm. toxic. And there's times you can live and deal with this together inside the home. So it's not always black and white, but there's certainly, I see it all the time, Adam, where, yeah, the people have to do work individually. And, and But I've seen healing. I've seen great healing. I've seen people come back from places in their marriage and, and in their personal lives that you'd never think they'd come back from. So it can happen. Absolutely. That's awesome. Question number five. So I want to talk about the stuck guy for a second. It could be pornography. It could be whatever. But there seems to be the stuck guy and then the guy who's able to move past and move forward and grow. Yeah. What's the difference? Well, Matt talked about accountability. I, um, I think that's one. I think there's times where I'm stuck in my life um, and I need my friends to pull me out. Mm-hmm. I, I need to call people and and just be like, hey, you got to pull me out of this thought process you got to pull me out of this place in my life where I just feel like I can't move anymore. Pick me up and pull me out of the, the quicksand. I think that's huge in our life. And I think for men in particular, um, and I know some women, we, we tend to isolate our thoughts. Mm-hmm. We tend to isolate ourselves. We tend to say, I feel alone. I'm alone. Nobody knows how I'm feeling. And we don't want to share that because we feel weak. And th- I think it's empowering to know that you have other men or people in your life who could pull you out of those situations get you out of that thought process where you're thinking so bad about yourself or your career or who you are as a dad or whatever you're doing. I, I need that in my life. All right. Question number six. Yep. Top do and don't if you're stuck in porn. Well, I would say get help. Admit. That's the first step. And he talked about it. I agree 100%. Admit that you need help. Uh, bring it out into the light. 
with your spouse, with your community, your friends, your, and then get help, the counselor. Great show today, Adam. Thanks so much, dude. And thanks to Matt Frad uh, for being on the show. You can get the show uh, on podcasts, paulgeorge.la on iTunes, uh, and you can you can share it. So great to be with you today. Thanks, Adam. Paul George, be back next week. God bless.